When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody. We are live. It's rewind to raw. I'm John Pollock alongside. Waiting. Hi. How you doing, John? Not great. Not great. Why not? We have a whole review to explain why. Oh, okay. So it is it is work related stress. This is not stress. This is a contemplation of life choices at times. I'll we'll we'll get through it, man. We'll get through it, dude. I have a I new guess- rule. I have a new rule that when <laughs> the thought of being on my deathbed occurs, that's a bad sign. That's officially a thumbs down show. That's my new rule. Okay. When I'm, th- when I'm thinking that one day I'm going to think back to, <laughs> if I could only have one more day of how many of those hours were spent contemplating where they're going with T-Bar and Mace. That's a bad sign. Is that what I should change the poll to rather than a, a rating out of 10? Um, did you wish you were um, on your deathbed? Did you look at the larger picture of life and contemplate where this intersects with your life goals? Mm. That to me is um, maybe that is poll worthy. That, that's, that's really the evolution of thumbs down to me. Yeah, throwing in a bit of ex- existentialism into our raw review. I like it. Maybe we'll try that next week. I'm not going to have a whole lot to add on Raw tonight. That's okay. Well, I guess the bigger question is, which night of combat sports action did you enjoy more tonight or what you saw on Saturday? It's a good question. One would be the equivalent of going to your local mall and every store is closed, but you've got two hours to kill. And then they've decided that, well, we're pushing the party off because we're getting so much more in rights fees. So it'll be a three hour wait. Kill time in the mall. It's like, well, that's a long time to kill when no stores open. Whereas Saturday would be like going to the mall and it's on fire. (laughs) And the entire city has surrounded it. And there's fireworks coming out of the mall. And... Strange animals are are being attracted to this dumpster fire, and no one can turn away because the whole city is focused on this, and you can't turn away. That's a very interesting analogy. Um, I think I would pick them all on fire. I think a lot of people chose them all on fire on, on Saturday night. I was very much – because you are actually the perfect person. This show on Saturday was not about I of, of course they would like boxing fans to tune in. But the person they want is you, Way. That is never going to order a boxing pay-per-view probably ever. But if ever there was a show that you were going to sit down and at the very least find a way to watch without spending money on, this would probably be it for you. You are the target for this kind of show. 
Like, how can we make so much noise that you're forced to look over and see what what is going on there? And this, to me, was like the the confluence of everything, of just holy shit moments, stuff that can be easily memeable, and just be a complete disaster with the hope that it is such a disaster that you can't possibly not want to pay attention to this. The problem being, it was four hours of this. Well, I, I did tune in, um, at least for the main event. And for me, I really had no plans to at all whatsoever. I didn't really care up until the, the night of the event. But it, it got to the point where I think everybody was talking about it so much. Like, you were texting me about Steve Urkel. <laughs> Jordan was texting me about Steve Urkel. And I was like, at some point, okay, I'm about to edit this Falcon Winter Soldier review. Let me put it on in the background. Uh, it, it it really certainly felt like a bit of a communal experience, and I was more interested in that than actually the fights themselves. And, and that's part of the intrigue is the idea that this was going to be, yeah, it was like there was a massive like I'm not going to say a massive card, but the UFC had like a quality quality main event on, and this dwarfed it in in terms of attention. It was, I mean, we we saw like. The Google search numbers that the Observer has reported, like 7.2 million Google searches for this, which is often a very good correlation to how successful a show does on pay-per-view. And once that pay-per-view number is official, like I have no doubt this is going to have been an extremely successful show in terms of numbers. God knows what the cost of this was on Saturday. Well, yeah, absolutely. From the sounds of it, it sounded like they had some... Why don't you name off some of the the variety we saw in this show? Oh, my God. We had – dude, we had a live uh, performance by uh, Snoop Dogg played. Ice Cube was there. Justin Bieber played. I mean, this, this was uh, the Black Keys, Doja Cat. I mean, it was – I really did not even have a big problem with the idea of having the live – musical performances. I mean, Justin Bieber trying to rile up uh, an empty stadium that did not contain fans was kind of amusing. Um, But nonetheless, they promoted this as it wasn't as though this was just uh, something that they shoehorned in here. They promoted it. It was just too much over four hours. You got, if you tuned in for the pay-per-view, you got four fights, none of which, none of any of these fights went longer than six rounds. Uh, Three of the four topped out at three, uh, and then it was just filling this four-hour window with all of these musical performances, bizarre backstage segments hosted by Pete Davidson, and and a disastrous commentary performance by Oscar De La Hoya, who I, I took no, like, there was no comedy in this for me. It was sad. It was someone that, this is a guy that has had numerous addiction struggles who was out there in absolutely no condition to be part of a broadcast team. And it was just like, it was an extremely like it was a disaster. That's what it was marketed as. And that is what it delivered. So he was drunk on commentary. I can't say what, what he was, but he did not appear in any kind of condition to be on a broadcast at all. To the point that the other announcers were like joking about it. Like wow. he, if you grew up like Oscar, if you were a fan of Oscar De La Hoya, I mean, this, this was a pretty low point to hear him. And it, it was just like, it was awful. It would be to me, the equivalent of, I don't think anyone listening to a show like this would take any glee or joy 
if they were to have bought a pay-per-view and someone like a Scott Hall uh, showed up and sounded like completely gone. I mean, that to me, it's like, this is not comedy to me. I think Frank Mir actually summarized it best the next day of where, you know, he did not find this funny at all uh, and was worried about the, this, this individual, but it was, it was just a shit show. That's what this was for four hours. But I mean, my kind of interest in this was not so much, well, is this good or bad? It's, this was ex- an extremely popular show last November, and this one was going to be as well. So I kind of feel it's it's part of my job to at least watch this and try and understand why is this so popular and what is the attraction to people that that is undeniable that this appears to have worked a second time. And we know there's going to be a third show and probably a fourth one that they've announced dates for in June and July. Uh, sadly, one of which will is at least scheduled as of now to feature Oscar De La Hoya actually fighting. Hmm. Right. Well, um, first of all, what did you think of the fight, the main event itself? I mean, it was... Um, I I think that it was largely um, Ben Askren who looked like he did minimal, if any, serious training for this fight. This is a this is a fighter, first of all, who is um, not that long ago had hip replacement surgery and looked like a guy that had hip replacement surgery uh, in terms of how he could train for this fight and got blasted with a right hand, and that was essentially the fight. I mean, he got up for the standing eight count and then the referee waved it off. Uh, I did not really have any issue with the stoppage, um, but I, I don't think you can really take anything from it other than, you know, Jake Paul wins and you can ride this popularity train. I mean, he is, he's been compared and I think it's like an apt one to Kimbo slice that it's someone that there is an enormous following for whether you are a fan of this guy or you just want to see somebody uh, beat him that, you have to very carefully manage this person and who you put against them. And they decided to lean on the boxing versus MMA rivalry and choose a guy that striking was his absolute weakest element, not to mention the fact that he, I mean, he he did not look in great shape for this fight. And I'm sure his training was not that, not that great for this fight. And who do you think is up next for Jake Paul? I, I don't even care. Um, I mean, it's, it's really what, what are you looking to do with this? Because you can, you will have no shortage of MMA fighters that are going to raise their arm to get, get a fight like this. Are you aware that Ben Askren, he did not have points on the pay-per-view end. So he was paid $500,000 and that looks to be, I mean, that's a great payday for Ben Askren compared to his career. But Mm -hmm. given what this pay-per-view could potentially do, I mean, that's to me, like, do, do you think that this, Card, do you think Ben Askren made any difference to it, or was it just opponent A facing Jake Paul? That Jake I mean, Paul they, was the. I think they could have chosen from a number of people to be in Ben Askren's position. So in that sense, I don't think he had much leverage. I think he was probably more than happy to accept five hundred thousand dollars for a single, like two three minutes of work. You know, um, uh, and I I do think he ultimately added something to it. You know, there's some novelty. He built of- this up. I mean, he did his interviews. He had fun with this buildup. I think, and more, also more so his perception as a UFC fighter, a representative, a successful representative of MMA coming in here to face a YouTube star. Um, I think on paper you'd look at this and you think, oh, okay, the MMA guy is going to win, uh, and therefore you know gives you enough benefit of the doubt to think that Jake Paul would get knocked out. 
Uh, but, you know, people in the know obviously knew better. Well, I think it's it's also like Jake Paul, you can't judge it on anything. This guy has not fought any any actual boxers in his three fights that he's had, and Ben Askren included. Ben Askren is the furthest thing from a professional boxer. I, w- I wouldn't say the furthest thing, but nonetheless, he's not a boxer. So, I mean, with Jake Paul, it's like you have a very – you can only judge based on what you've seen, and it's how – like to me, you put any – any seasoned striker in there with, with a Jake Paul, I think the the disparity would be evident very, very quickly. Um, but nonetheless, like there's like you're going to ride this thing. It's like if like this pay-per-view should do an enormous uh, should do an enormous number. And I guess I'm just curious to people that bought this show because I did not see the first show back in November. That was during my hiatus and I was not all that interested in watching it, but this one, I, I kind of felt I, I should watch it. Um, but those that came away from this, are you more inclined? Was this a fun four hours to spend and dropping your 40, 50 bucks on the show that you would do it again, that this was just a party or was it, you got your enjoyment out of this and you're probably not going to do this again. I think it's the party element to me that would pique my interest. You know, if it was, I mean, you're at a point now where I think people are really looking for these kind of social events, even if it's virtual, you know, to, 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 to just have something to share with people. We're not really going out to see movies anymore. So you don't really have that kind of live atmosphere attached to, you know, even like a sporting event, like unless you're local and cheering for a local team, it doesn't really feel all that important. So an excuse to gather to even watch something as ridiculous as this, I think it's what people ultimately might look forward to more than actually the competition itself. Um, and, and if that, you know, if they were successful in hosting a party and facilitating content for people to experience some sort of communal, um, I don't know, excitement for a night, I think people will want to do that again. So their June card, like they're advertising Vander Holyfield fighting Kevin McBride and, um, that's I don't the know an event though, right? Like, I mean, it's got to be more ridiculous than that. I mean, I, I guess. Well, I mean, there, there's, I guess, reports out there of Diplo potentially fighting. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it has to be Jake Paul, don't you think? Or, or his brother? I guess his brother's busy. I mean, it'll depend. I guess it will depend. Like where? I mean, those like the Paul brothers hold a lot of currency when it comes to the ability to like, they have established themselves as draws. I mean, Logan Paul with like, whatever you want to say about the, the fights with KSI. I mean, that tapped into an audience that is not typically buying uh, boxing pay-per-views. And, and I know I was, I was speaking with a friend of mine a few weeks ago and that person like had the concern that Jake Paul's audience are not going to be the ones that are going to drop money for a big pay-per-view. Like they're the ones that are going to be savvy enough to just stream this stuff and, and find it through other means. But I, I think this fight was big enough that it enough people were going to buy it. So that's when that final number comes out, I think that will ultimately tell the tale. I think there's absolutely no question that there will be follow-up shows. The fact they're planning them I guess you look at what is the end game here. This was this was hardly a like to me. This was like the ultimate. Um, if you are Triller, like wait, can you even tell me what Triller is? What their primary? I had no idea is? until the story of them buying fight last week. 
They are uh, some sort of social media app, like sort of a Vine or Snapchat. Like, I believe you could have watched that four-hour pay-per-view and not come away with an idea of what Triller is. The fact that it is this um, this social media platform that is trying to rival TikTok. And, like, this was not some expensive – like, this was, hey, we're selling the uh, the brand. This is the brand of Triller, which uh, – to me, well, it's well. What is Triller now, though? I mean, I think I would argue more people now know it, maybe even as a fight promotion, than in a social media. App. I would agree with you. I think more people will will when you say Triller, think about these shows more so than the app. That um, has it's it's an enormous uh, amount of money that they are throwing out for all of these different things, and it's I guess what what is the end goal here? And now they are they are deeply rooted in the industries that we cover through their purchase of Fight TV. Like Triller is now working with a pro wrestling Noah, for instance. So I mean, that's like there is your connection, everyone, Man, from Snoop Dogg to KG Mudo uh, showing up at the next Triller. Who, who knows? But that's like that's another aspect of this, and for them, like it makes sense that for anyone. That is buying this through Fight TV now. Triller, I mean, they take in a hundred percent of that. There is no split with the distributor. It's they are their own distributor on Fight TV. This was also on traditional pay per view as well. So there is those cuts, but it's also like what are the expenses versus what is the money coming in? Because to me, I'm watching this show and this it's ungodly what they must have spent on this show. I have no idea what what sort of finances like what sort of financial model uh, something like this is based upon. I I I can't I can't even begin to imagine the amount of money that that's being thrown around there. It, it, and on some level, I get the sense that these are just people wanting to throw a big party, you know, with ridiculous shit to laugh at. There are people that have lots of money to spend that love to throw parties. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, any other thoughts? You just saw the main event. Just the main event. And that was enough. Yes. That was enough. <laughs> well, um, it was an experience. I, I don't look at this as like this signals the the death of boxing. I don't think it is. I think it's just it's its own thing. It's a total car crash that has attracted an audience for, for two shows, it appears, in a row. Um, I don't know if this is sustainable. I don't think that Jake Paul is necessarily going to be uh, sustainable, but it's... Totally. Well, who, grab- who's the next one? You know, I'm sure they're thinking about several other Jake Pauls that could fill their, his spot. Well, that's the thing. I don't think there's necessarily it, it. You don't just snap your fingers and have someone that can do um, this level can garner this level of interest. And I think you know, again, I want to wait till like the final pay per view number is out to see like how successful uh, this truly was because unlike the first one to me, the first one, it was less like Jake Paul fought on the undercard of that last card in November. But that to me was all about Mike Tyson. Um, so this was all on the shoulders of Jake Paul and to a lesser degree, Ben Askren. But I think, you know, you have to look at the, the giant a side of this, this fight was clearly Jake Paul and what he brought to the table. And you have this other one in, Logan Paul, that if he, if if Triller can promote, um, and, and what do the Paul brothers want out of this? Like when you're successful, your asking price is going to go up uh, that much more. Uh, so I think it's an interesting experiment to look at, but it was also a show that was complete chaos for four hours. That's the best way I can summarize it. Steve Austin documentary. Did you get to see any of this? This was the first of eight 
documentaries that A&E are going to be releasing over the next uh, couple of weeks. And this was a two-hour documentary featuring pretty much a who's who within WWE from, of course, Austin, but Vince McMahon, Dwayne Johnson, Mark Calloway, Paul Levesque. Hey, we need Adam Colt for 15 seconds. Cool. I mean, every single person in the company was at their disposal to be interviewed. And even outside the company, Jim Ross. Uh, Jim Ross was, yeah, which you had to have in this. Uh, You also had uh, Mike Johnson uh, there from PWInsider.com. I'll mention that just so people have like a a sense. I think I mentioned this before, but uh, over a year ago, they did reach out to me to be interviewed for this. And I would imagine that they contacted many people uh, outside of WWE And uh, I just, uh, with COVID and such, I mean, the interview would have had to be done in the States. So it was not going to be, that was not a trip I was going to be making last year. But uh, it gives you a sense like where they were looking at for some of these documentaries to go outside of just uh, WWE people as well, speaking to reporters, journalists. Um, Did, I mean, outside of that, um, did you think there were any... Like to me, I look at a documentary like this, and it's I will always have a greater appreciation for the documentary projects that have to work with the least. It's like I can still like applaud the hard work that goes into a documentary like this, but it's it's like they have all the footage they could possibly want, and here's a list of everyone we want to interview, and you're gonna get everyone you want, and it's you know, and i I didn't think like a whole lot of new information was uncovered in this either, but maybe that's uh, too high a bar versus just the average person that wants a two hour documentary on Steve Austin. Yeah. I mean, I, I really don't think these are um, maybe even comparable to something like dark side of the ring, which I think is something that speaks a lot more to, you know, people like you and I, people that might listen to a podcast like this, who kind of want to learn a, a bit more in depth about some of these issues that we might've heard about that have never really been covered. Uh, something like Steve Austin's career, I feel like there's been, you know, many things uh, really written about it, uh, documentaries that WWE have produced themselves. So I would say this was more of a just a general overview of this person's career in the same way that, you know, any biography typically tends to be. Production, as you would expect, is just fantastic. Very well, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like everything is is fantastic. Um, I think Austin comes across really good, you know, like... Um, good interview um i thought he seemed you know a bit more vulnerable than maybe he typically comes across in his interviews uh where he leads uh, for instance of course um in particular i enjoyed the scene where he talked about his relationship with his daughters and admitting that man there was this one one part part where he says like you know um his daughter ended up moving to england with his wife and because of like 9 11 everything they ended up staying there and then one day he called the, his daughter and heard that she now had an, Eng, an English accent instead of a, I guess, Southern Texan accent that he used to have. And it broke his heart. And um, that I, 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 I thought that was, was gut wrenching stuff to hear. I mean, it's yeah. I mean, he is he has spoken about um, his daughters in the past and being on the road. But I thought that that was in some ways the most um some of the most interesting stuff in the documentary was they really did kind of hammer home just how brutal the road schedule is. And especially at this time. And I I think it's like a real kind of reminder of where we are now and just the, 
You know, the idea of going back to the old touring schedule, even today, like this is not the schedule of the mid 80s, but it's it's not a cakewalk when you're talking about, you know, four events a week and then you're just you're living out of a suitcase and you're home for a day or two. Um, you know, now performers, I'm sure 18 months ago, if you had told performers, hey, we're going to we're eliminating house shows. I'm sure there would be a strong percentage of them that they are creatures of habit. They are used to their life on the road and wouldn't want to change the schedule. But now that they've been forced to go through it, I would wonder how many of those people who might have been averse to lessening the schedule would be so willing to jump back into a full schedule now that you've had a year where it's one show a week and you're probably only wrestling two times a month now, at most four. Mm -hmm. I I think wrestling... In really a lot of sports and maybe, you know, uh, several other, other kind of professions, they, it kind of breeds this um, this expectation of sacrifice, especially if you're somebody who is at the very top of your profession. And, you know, despite, like, I think some of the heartbreak in, in their words, like, people like Taker and I think people like Austin kind of, like, almost speak of, you know, their the being away from home as sort of like something that they've like, it's an obligation that they had to exchange in, in exchange for this world that they've had in exchange for the career and life that they provided their family. And I don't know if that needs to be the case, you know, especially now, especially with like the company, like, uh, like a WWE being as profitable as they are without, you know, uh, doing house shows. Um, so I would definitely hope that future generations might not have to be, make that same level of sacrifice. But uh, yeah, nonetheless, getting back to the documentary itself, I, I, I would say, you know, if you're a fan, there's probably not much that you didn't know about it. Um, there's certainly a lot that gets glossed over if you're expecting for a compre- expecting a comprehensive look at this man's rise through WCW. I'm surprised they actually like spent as much Dude, time he, on he, he left WCW. It was 20 minutes of growing up, uh, leaving WCW and getting to ECW like they... I mean, I guess that was just how much time they were going to allot to this. But I mean, yeah, they sped through all of those uh, first years of his career. Comparatively, I was actually surprised they spent as much time talking about ECW as they did, you know, because he wasn't really there for that long. But nonetheless, they had Haven there. I guess it was like, you know, a pretty, pretty pivotal part of, of his career. And then the rest of it, you know, like his his run really was just kind of glossed over. Like you have, you know, uh, King of the Ring, you have the uh, T-shirt, and then you have the pile driver with Owen. And then it's just kind of like um, The Rock. I mean, did you did they even hit on The Rock? It was more like, you know, that's uh, he did, did the pile driver. Had I mean, success. they they did set it up like he like Rock became his top rival, and that these two right. were kind of scratching for that that top position that Austin occupied and Rock was on the ascent. Uh, and the fact that they had Dwayne Johnson, I mean, he was he was featured pretty prominently here right up until the, the WrestleMania 19 match. They, they go through pretty rapidly, as you mentioned. I mean, it's, um, you know, to, to me, like when you go back to like the Austin 316 speech, it was hardly overnight he went from that speech to the Stone Cold character. I mean, it was, it was the Brett program that kind of turned the corner and he really started to take off at that point because the king of the ring happens and he's like forgotten about that summer it's not till the brett program in the fall that the stone cold character emerges and then you have the wrestlemania match where i mean one of the most important matches in wrestlemania history and then 
I think that Everything would be takes a name off. that I think that would be a name that might have been a you know a, a worthy addition to this if if you could add anybody that you know. I was surprised uh, was because they're doing a whole doc on Brett. Um, yeah, he was a voice that was missing in this. Um, I think it's worth noting when you talk about things that were glossed over, and maybe this is not surprising, um, but they did not go into the d- domestic assault case in 2002 mm-hmm. involving Austin and Deborah. Nor was Deborah ever mentioned here um, of the fact he did mention his divorces and failings in his personal life, but never specific about Deborah. And this is something Austin, for those that are unfamiliar, this was days after he walked out of the company in 2002. And there was a, a domestic incident at his home involving Deborah. And later he turned himself in that summer and then pleaded no contest uh, in November of that year to a misdemeanor assault charge. And he briefly addresses it in his book, largely saying there was an incident at his house. The police were called. It got a lot of media attention, but for legal reasons, he can't talk about it, but he regrets the whole ordeal. And that to me is, I that to my knowledge is the only time he's ever talked about it. Uh, did it surprise you or, because I think that that kind of tells kind of the tale here of these documentaries of what will be covered and what will not and i look at something like the ultimate warrior is going to be profiled for two hours you can go into a lot of ugly stuff with the ultimate warrior does this somewhat inform your expectations for a documentary like that it does yeah but i will say going into this i did not expect them to cover something like that it would have been a surprise and i think a pleasant one if they did even mention it but knowing that this was a wwe production i absolutely do not expect something like that to be brought up it seems to be a part of it's a as a steve austin fan as a big steve austin fan it's something i struggle with you know not really knowing the full details about what exactly went on there the fact that he pleaded no contest to it like i i i don't really know how to like resolve that myself you know can i still cheer for this guy knowing that this stuff is out there um and you know if he truly cared um i think this would oh well legally who knows how much he can he can answer or not but uh anyway that's that's what he said in his book which was a book that came out in 2003 so i i don't know i think people would like to hear him address it um because i think you know it's something that happened uh almost 20 years ago at this point, it happened in 2002. Um, and I think to just address it, I think it's, you know, people I think are, I think it's when, when it's just not covered at all, you are left with that question. The questions, you know, from fans like us, the public at large might not even be aware that something like this exists with Steve Austin. And if you're Steve Austin, I guess, why would you bring up something that nobody knows about that could potentially, you know, like... It was a pretty big story at the time. Like, it was not just covered in wrestling circles. Like, it was a major story in the media when it it happened. But I can see a generation removed, yes, people that are unfamiliar with that story. But, I mean, it coincides. Like, this man's, uh, like... Th- this was rock bottom for him. It was, you know, the walkout and then this, this incident occurs like it, it was a very um, dark time in Steve Austin's life. And I think that, I think the public is generally willing to um, uh, forgive incidents where they feel it is necessary, but it's, it's just something he has never spoken about. And I was, I was at least curious in this documentary uh, to see if they would address this. And I think it establishes kind of a line of where they're going and not to be 
like lost in this whole thing. These are eight documentaries of legendary figures. And what is who is the clear omission of these eight that they are not going to go into a two hour documentary on Hulk Hogan? Mm, like yes, he would seem yeah. perfect in terms of his like stature. Um, mm-hmm. He would be one of these names. You would pay, if you were to isolate eight documentary subjects. And I would imagine like just guessing that that's one that they feel we cannot do a two hour documentary on Hulk Hogan and not address a significant part of what has happened the last five years. Or that they know that the moment they announce something like this, then the moment they broadcast something like this, they will be met with an avalanche of backlash for profiling and celebrating the man's career. So in some they're going to get some like- of that for the warrior. Like if the warrior, yep. if it, if it's just a puff piece on warrior for two hours, you will get some of that, that criticism. Yeah. Really like several of the members, like, I mean, you know, the, the Piper next week, do they talk about the blackface? Like, and, and I mean, the blackface thing is like whatever kind of you, you think about it. But, you know, the the point is not very few people live completely clean lives. And if you want a full context, a full picture of somebody's life, you're going to have to get into some of that ugly ugliness. Um, And how, how willing are they? Are, how are willing are they willing to do that? Yeah, I think it's just like in, in some of these you look for as much transparency as possible. Like I listen, I'm not someone that wants to be in a society where you are it is it, it, you are unforgivable. I mean, obviously there are certain areas that you do not come back from, but I would think largely the public, especially when it comes to celebrities are extraordinarily forgiving, r- rightly or wrongly. Um but anyway, that was um I guess those were kind of the key points. They did go into the walkout portion um, with Jim Ross facilitating the meeting with Vince and Austin. And then it's kind of condensed. I would say if you don't know the story of the walkout and the health incident he has at WrestleMania 19, I mean, they tried to fit a lot in. And I would wonder if someone that is not a fan that has not followed these stories, it was it was a lot to throw at you immediately that I, I don't know if you could digest all of it. Maybe you could. I mean, for two hours, I thought it was pretty compelling, you know, throughout. I thought that Kevin Owens, it was an interesting line that he had. He was in it very briefly, but said about Austin's impact has made it difficult for this generation that no matter what you do, it's you're compared to the last era of Austin and by extension, The Rock. It's like a lot of these performers, especially in WWE, like you are compared to and even on WWE's own television, like they romanticize that period as when wrestling was at its hottest. He's the guy who does the stunner for his well, finisher. He, um, yeah, I, but I think it's a total like valid point. Like there is an audience that they are so seeped in those couple of years from the late nineties, early two thousands um, that this generation, I'm sure there is a kind of hitting our head against the wall that it's a totally different environment we're in there's a lot more restrictions for us in terms of creative freedoms that the others did not have to abide by and and you have the nostalgia factor that your company glorifies and pumps up significantly that this like when austin comes back he is the legend of all legends he is you know he is a comes back and he is the biggest star by a landslide when he is on those shows yeah he really is uh, are you excited for the the next ones? Like, how how what on a scale of one to ten? I'm of all of them. Um, the Brett one, I'm I'm not looking forward to whatever 
interpretations of Montreal we're going to get. I just, I, I, <laughs> I don't even know if I want to watch it, to be honest. Like, I am Montrealed out for the rest of my life. That that I am not looking forward to. Um, the Ultimate Warrior one, I think, will draw a great level of scrutiny if uh, certain topics are not addressed with the Ultimate Warrior. Um, I really can't see them doing it, you know, especially with the, the place Warrior holds in their yearly Hall of Fame. I, I can't see them bringing all that stuff up. Me neither. Yeah. So who, who else are, what is the, the, uh, the other name? So next week is Roddy Piper. And then the additional ones are Mick Foley, Bret Hart, Booker T, Randy Savage, Ultimate Warrior, and Shawn Michaels. Okay. Interesting. The Shawn one should be fascinating. Sean could be a very good one because I think you have Sean that is going to be, uh, Sean is an open book when it comes to his failings. And I, th I think the Sean one could be very good. And that one is to me, very contingent on Sean. And I think that you'll get a very, um, a very open and hopefully very honest Sean in that one. Mm. Reckoning and slapjack way are moving to SmackDown. Is this a good move, bad move, lateral move? Um, I think it's a good move. I think anything to, to keep you far away from the memories of that retribution gimmick is a very positive move. Uh, I think better off for, for me than uh, Shane Taylor, who I I really don't know how much of a prominent position he'll hold on SmackDown. But me I think hopefully they don't acknowledge like the retribution names at all, and she just comes in fresh. I would say yeah. based on tonight, I'm sure that they're going to just shed the gimmicks. And yes, Mia Yim, um, you could look at the Raw women's side that they they need people. But, I mean, you're going on to SmackDown where you've got Natalia, you've got Bianca, Sasha, Bailey, And, like, that's there, there's a lot of depth to that division that you have to navigate. But that's I think that's a really good spot for her. Slapjack, it's like the jury's going to be out. It's uh, hopefully he's not someone that's just lost in the shuffle on a show that's two hours instead of three. Uh, but hopefully um, that hockey mask is long gone. I think there's real potential with Miriam, and I think it'll be telling how she debuts. If she simply co comes in, even as herself, without much fanfare, she's like you know a part of us, some some tag match or something. I I don't have as high hopes. I think she's somebody you can really like treat with proper care by introducing her, teasing it a little bit with vignettes and making her appearance, her first match, a big deal. Uh, and that requires you completely forgetting everything she was a part of over the past several months. And the last uh, bit of news tonight, MLW announced a TV deal with Vice TV uh, that they are going to be uh, – so, uh, this was a uh, – added on by uh, PWInsider.com that they will be starting this in May. It looks like they're going to start off with archived content. And then once the first run episodes begin, uh, it sounds like this will be separate uh, from Fusion. They've still got their deals with BN Sports and DAZN. Um, Court Bauer is making another announcement on Wednesday's edition of Fusion. Uh, but this, I mean, way it's just another signal from Vice TV that they are all in on wrestling with Dark Side of the Ring that will resume... May the 6th, and now having a weekly uh, pro wrestling show on their network. Seems like MLW is on, like, you can watch it several places. I think they just want to be, I think they just want to spread themselves as to as many, like, networks and streaming platforms as they can get on. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, like, I guess New Japan is still holding out for something. There's Don yeah. Goku. Yes. Uh, so, 
it seems like there is an appetite from networks for professional wrestling that is not just WWE. And I think you'd have to look at AEW's success as a wake-up call to programmers that can look at pro wrestling is not just WWE and seeing like what kind of audience is is going to attract it to. It's, it's interesting because pro wrestling has always had the belief that it can attract numbers, um, but for the longest time, it was like not the most advantageous for advertisers. And that's definitely improved significantly over many years with WWE. And I think that um, that perception is changing. But in a world where like on television, like we look at that 18 to 49 number as so advantageous for advertisers. But if you're in the business of being a streaming platform, you're looking for volume. It does not matter if your subscriber is eight years old, 18, 49, or 104. If they can sign up with a valid credit card, they count because we just want streaming numbers. And that to me is a good place for pro wrestling to be in if you can attract numbers regardless of your your demographic. Whereas on, on actual you know, linear television, you're very much you know hand to mouth with what advertising you can bring. And as opposed to TV series or movies that, you know, uh, many streaming platforms kind of like hinge their success on, wrestling never ends. You're always going to get something brand new every single week. Um, and so it, it, it definitely fits the sus- subscription model a bit more. And also will be interesting what MLW can draw on Vice TV. Vice TV is not a, a highly rated network, but Darkside, I mean, they peaked last season with 349,000 viewers. That's very good. I mean, when we look at like impact is doing less than half that or half that on most weeks on access TV. So um, I don't know if you're looking at that level as something MLW could sustain weekly, but that, that will be an interesting part of this. Like what, what kind of audience can you draw on a network, the size of vice TV? Mm. So there you go. Those are your news items. You can go over to postwrestling.com and we have put it off. It's time to get into Raw. Hey, wait a second. Before that, let's talk about some of the things coming out this week at postwrestling.com. Yes. Let's delay Raw. Let's delay Raw. Just tell me, wait, what's 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 going on that has piqued your interest at what's on the Post Wrestling Cafe this week? Well, first of all, I want to alert everybody to on the free feed right now, we have released our episode five review of Falcon and the Winter Soldier with me, WH Park, and Nate Milton. We cover basically the Tee up to the season finale happening this Saturday, and we would like to invite right now all Post Wrestling Cafe members Saturday at 8 p.m., not 7 as we announced, but 8 p.m. Uh, join us live as we talk about this this series finale of Falcon and the Winter Soldier at Saturday at 8 p.m. But beyond that, other perks that Post Wrestling Cafe members get this week, we are going to be releasing a rewind away about the New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 special from San Francisco in 2018 this is right before i would say um the elite left the new japan pro wrestling roster. this may as well have taken place 10 years ago right not long before all in and uh it features a main event of kenny omega versus cody in i would say the culmination of the bullet club is fine storyline so uh do check that out i look forward to recapping that entire i mean it's it, it is oddly nostalgic because so much has happened in such a short amount of time so that's brought to you by Sean Levine, our executive producer. We are back s- Friday. I am back with Kate from Montreal for all Post Wrestling Cafe patrons for Rewind to SmackDown. 
And on the free feed, we have Rewind of Dynamite tomorrow. And then Friday, John, you'll have an update with Brandon Thurston, won't you? That's right. We've got the big WWE Q1 earnings report on, that'll be released uh, Thursday night. Thursday at about 5 Eastern, they will be... Uh, they'll be hosting the earnings call right after the report comes out. So Friday, Brandon Thurston will make his quarterly appearance here at postwrestling.com. We will go through uh, all of the notes from the earnings call, the key news items coming out of the uh, earnings report, and probably a lot of other topics. It's been a very uh, busy time with some of the recent interviews that uh, Nick Khan has conducted, um, the recent proxy statement. So there's a lot to get into with Brandon on Friday. Saturday, it's a double dose of Nate as he returns for the Rocky Maivia Picture Show with Brian Mann. They are starting the Satellite of Hate back up to talk about The Rock's appearance on SNL. A brilliant choice that I can't wait for for them to talk about. Uh, I just remember I remember it like it was yesterday. It was a big deal at the time, John. March of 2000. That's yeah. right. That was, it was a very big deal to, to, get the, to get them on at that time, right before WrestleMania. And then Saturday night, UFC 261, John will be there with Phil Chertok, live on YouTube right after the fights. Are you watching that card? Um, no, you'll you be know, live. I, you'll be busy doing a show. I will be busy, unfortunately. <laughs> if not, you would have been. I know you would have ordered the show, right? I definitely would have, yeah. Sunday, we have an Impact Rebellion post-show from our friends at Up Next with Davey Portman and John Ceno. So... Uh, check that out. They might have a bit of a primer coming up on their feed too for Impact Rebellion. So do subscribe to their feed for everything. All right. All of that can be found at postwrestling.com. The schedule's up there. All of the news we have you covered. But now it's time to cover Raw. So interesting notes tonight. Once again, no AJ Styles, no Omos, uh, no John Morrison either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, more. I mean, AJ and Omos, I guess maybe they're just saving them for something later. I, you know, I'm assuming they don't really figure into backlash, they're the, but they're the tag champions. Well, I mean, doesn't mean they might have a match. I mean, you know how they look at the tag division, right? So, but, but John Morrison did have a bit of a prominent role in the midst of this, you know, Miz, Damian Priest thing. So his lack that of that was a notable absence tonight, I thought. Yeah, it was interesting. Drew McIntyre started the show. He beat Orton and Strowman to get the title rematch. And then he addresses Mace and T-Bar. He knows the mastermind behind the attack last week is MVP. He asks if they'll wear suits and take off the stupid masks. And he says he's going to get a little bit of retribution on them. MVP comes out. Lashley's going to beat him again, he says. Lashley also wasn't on the show, I should mention. That was probably a bigger one than any of the other three. Right, you're right. He said Lashley decided to downsize the Hurt Business recently and asked why they would recruit others when he's proven he can beat Drew anyway. Drew brings up the whole locker room being put against him before WrestleMania. And MVP says that T-Bar and Mace have zero affiliation with the Hurt Business. Drew's just made some enemies and says, maybe he's right, Drew acknowledges. And then he gets jumped by T-Bar and Mace who lay out Drew with the double choke slam. This suspense of whether Mace and T-Bar are working with MVP has to be the least dramatic storyline going on anywhere on television, regardless of genre. Mm, I feel like we could come like, are you more, are you suggesting the story where somebody falls off the apron leading to the other person, the other team retreating? 
<laughs> that has more suspense than this? Yes, it does. It has more <laughs> suspense than our T-Bar and May secretly working with MVP. Well, listen, the fact that they're teasing this, would it? how disappointing would it be if, yes, in the end, it was MVP who did hire them? So I... What if, let's just open it up the possibility. Who else could it be that could have hired these two? Um, well, Drew's got no friends, so it's no, no one could stab him in the back. I guess Braun's his friend now, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, tonight at least. Yeah, I, I'm not exactly sure what's going on here. The fact that they unmasked Mason T-Bar at the end here suggests that they're just going to put on suits and join the Hurt business anyway. So... You know what? What what is going on here? Is it Mason T Bar just deciding themselves to do this so that they can get into the hurt business, or is MVP telling the truth and you know he doesn't want them? Ah, suspense. Yeah, I'm edge of my seat here. Kevin Patrick then spoke to T Bar and Mace and asked them about their attack. T Bar responded, "Cats, dogs, birds." Mace then said, porcupines, snakes, saber-toothed tiger. That's extinct, right? Exactly what we're going to do when we finish off Drew McIntyre. This took great, great skill on the part of these two men that this was among the worst things I have seen this entire year, and Triller had four hours of a jump start on this episode of Raw. And yet this, to me, is something that, to their credit, I will remember this line when we do our final episode of 2021 here at the site. Uh, this was definitely monumental. Um, it was among the worst promos I've ever heard on Raw. If you could even call it a promo. Um, like, John... It it sounds unbelievable almost when you're recapping this. That's, this is ver- this is verbatim. Yeah, I know. Cats, dogs, birds, porcupines, snakes, saber toothed tiger. That was actually what was in the script here, and um, that was all that was on the script. And and it would be one thing where like if somehow that all made sense, but it was like they were randomly naming animals. And then the last thing happened to be something that was extinct. So um, that was the punchline. It was like, oh, that's extinct. That's going to be gone forever, just like what we're going to do to Drew McIntyre. But what about the rest? Why did they say cats, dogs, birds, and porcupines? What, what, what was the purpose of that? How did this flow? These were, uh, the others were all examples of things that had way more life than the script when presented to T-Bar and Mace. This this totally like brought me back to the like the NXT like the 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 game show NXT and like 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 when they had Eli Cottonwood like cut a promo on mustaches where like every week they were basically like pranking all their developmental guys on TV like I got the sense this was some sort of sick test designed to let somebody back there to see how much shit these two were willing to eat at the bottom of this totem pole you know like how are they going to handle us giving them this script on TV. And I suppose they did about as much as you would expect somebody to do with cats, dogs, birds, porcupines, and snakes. Um, it's the only explanation I have why they would let somebody, let, let these two grown men say these words on TV. 
Backstage, Drew's attack er, selling the attack, and he demands from Adam Pierce a handicap match with T-Bar and Mace. Pierce says, "You need a partner." Drew says, "I don't need one. Just make the match." More drama. Yeah. Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin against the Viking Raiders. If this sounds uh, reminiscent of something, it's the match they had last week. And at the beginning of this, the commentary, they are speaking about Eric's motorcycle accident from 2014. Meanwhile, Ivar has just come back from neck surgery. On YouTube, YouTube, they've put up this feature on these two men and the obstacles they have overcome. But somehow, this match was going to be more development for us of who these two men are. Yeah, well, wouldn't you be... (laughs) Like, what could you tell me about the Viking Raiders? If you are a Raw viewer, what could you tell me about these two other than their proclivity for playing carnival games with the Street Profits? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. They're terrible singers, and that's it. Turkey legs. Nothing. Like, they came back last week, they got the win. Like, imagine just dedicating four minutes to why Eric was gone. What has he had to do coming back from neck surgery? How Eric almost died in 2014 from a motorcycle accident. Four minutes of that? Oh my god, seeing something like this, which is like just completely a direct... They must have like... (laughs) They must have just like... (laughs) Forgot to erase last week's portion of the script in their template when they were writing this week's script because everything was exactly the same as it was last week. It's the same so match. It it tells me that they have no ideas at all for these Viking Raiders. Okay, the guy's healthy. We'll bring him back. I don't. Know, what do you want him to do? I don't know. Have him like beat Shelton and Cedric again? Well, how many weeks of this do you want? Fuck, I don't know. Like, just have them do it until we come up with something better. So, I we've seen this often, dude. Like, we've seen like what is this, Apollo Cruz and, and Big E? Like, it's it, it's like a best of nine, you know? That and we're like the first one to get the five wins wins the series or something. Um, so I I I don't really have high hopes for the Viking Raiders. We see no character development, no storyline even, and I think it's just a, such a waste of like you know that time away from them for 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 this re re debut to feel like such nothing. They've got a great, great host that can do a sit-down interview. You just get Samoa Joe into a studio with these two. It'd be fantastic. Can't do that anymore, fortunately. Okay, I'm going to skip to the end here. The Vikings won in five minutes and 12 seconds. Okay, what? so... Can we talk yeah. about the finisher? Okay. Yes, please. Yeah. Okay. So for the second week in a row, Adnan Verk referred to this as the Viking Express. So I hear this, I'm like, okay, maybe they've changed the name to the Viking Express, because I remember last week we heard Viking Express, and then it was corrected and said Viking Experience, which it it had always been called. So I'm assuming, well, he's not making the same mistake twice. Then we air the replay, and Graves refers to it as the Viking Experience. So now I'm confused. And then Adnan Verk doubles down and he calls it the Viking Express a second time after this replay. So I don't know so what hold, the hell this finisher is now. Called. Hold on a second. So so there's a there's even more than that. It was like it, Graves does this thing where like he he corrects his fellow commentators if they call moves wrong. 
But yes. he will do it in a way that'll just be like he'll be calling the replay like he was here, and he'll call it right. He doesn't do the sure. Michael Cole thing where he makes fun of you on the air for screwing up. He does it in a as subtle a way as possible to hey, pick up on what I'm saying because you got the name wrong. Yes, it was, and it's as much you know him doing it for the audience to be like, hey, everybody, yes, we know that this was the wrong call. So he did that here, and we're assuming, okay, so it is still the Viking experience. He even makes a Jimi Hendrix experience kind of like reference, yes. which Adnan Verk also picks up as he says like something like, you know, like uh, all along the watchtower. Like he made some sort of Jimi Hendrix reference himself, and then he still called it the Viking Express afterwards. So I, <laughs> I'm totally confused. It doesn't matter. 95% of viewers won't even give a shit. They won't even know that this thing was the Viking experience. But it was amusing to see this like weird tug of war between these two commentators over something ultimately nobody cares about. Randy Orton's in the back. Kevin Patrick says, Randy, you lit the fiend on fire. Is he no more? <laughs> I swear we, we went through this, didn't we? Orton says he will not be seen again as long as I'm around. Drew got lucky last week. He's going to wait the winner of Bobby and Drew after Backlash. And then Riddle pops in on the scooter. He's always wanted to meet an apex predator. What does that even mean? And he suggested to team up as RK bro. He'll get Randy a scooter with fangs and snakeskin. Orton just takes off. And then he goes to Pierce's office, is sick of the disrespect, and he wants to take on Riddle in a match later. Now... This part was hilarious because over the weekend, they promoted Randy Orton versus Braun Strowman. First time ever. And then later in the day today, uh, Fightful had a report uh, that this script went through some changes and it appeared that Randy versus Braun was off. I will say this. Once you've promoted it, it is a slap in the face that you don't even acknowledge what you have advertised. Can you imagine if Wednesday we sit down for Dynamite and Darby just doesn't face Jungle Boy? It just doesn't happen. It's never mentioned. That idea is unfathomable. There is no way that would ever happen where they just drop a match cold. It doesn't happen. I'm not complaining, but to me, it's if you were, if one single person wanted to see this first time ever match and tuned in and you didn't even give them a reason it's not happening. You just ignored it. I would never watch this show again. It's an assumption that people don't read their social media or that they don't care. And if you're assuming that I don't, but this care, company's the opposite. They live in social media. They, th everything so, to them is social media awareness. I mean, I would suggest that people don't care, but on the other hand, they do care when it's things like on Peacock where like Mandy Rose slipping, they decide to edit out or the fact that there's a huge rain delay and they decided to edit something like that out. Which um, is hilarious because I, I got feedback today that apparently those edits have not been made to Peacock, but every like the international version of the network, they're they're definitely off because I checked. So you could still see the rain delay? I I got a response from someone that it was like the slip is still there. I don't know about the rain delay, but the okay, slip well. apparently as of this afternoon was still there, which is hilarious given the fact that it's a storyline on raw that they have edited <laughs> out. But yeah, I, like on our version, the rain delay is gone and the slip has disappeared. Okay. 
Anyway, so it's it, 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 this we know this company, dude. Like it, they they have blinders on about what the rest of the world thinks. As long as their vision, as long as the the history they edit is to their liking, then it doesn't really matter what other people think. Charlotte comes out. She's the biggest star of the division. She calls all the other women rats. And everyone was talking about her not being on WrestleMania instead of any of them who are all fake. She is the opportunity. I can beat Ripley and Asuka in the same night, which I think sets up a three-way where we're all just going to trade wins for the next four weeks. She respects Asuka, but doesn't like her. So Asuka comes out, followed by Rhea Ripley. Hold on a second. So they just tagged like two months ago. With Charlotte starting that tag team by coming out to save Asuka. And for like weeks, they were like best of friends. Were they not? Doesn't like her now. I just like, you know, and at this point, I think it's too much to expect uh, from what we know. about <laughs> Any semblance company. of consistency? But any just an acknowledgement. Hey, I tagged with you and I didn't really want to, but it was my only way of getting to a WrestleMania match with you. Like, Wouldn't that have been such an cross. easy... I took the... When you needed a partner, when Lana got taken out, I took that spot because I knew that that's going to get me that much closer to you because my goal was to dethrone you for the title. I was working you this whole time. Done. Like, you have no idea how low the bar is for the fan base to give us anything and they will accept it. Yes. Anything. Yeah. No explanation for this sudden shift in character. And really, ultimately, just they just assume nobody pays attention. Um, and you're, you're going to create fans that ultimately don't care. And they have. So Asuka's in the ring. And her and Charlotte argue back and forth. Charlotte is, like, just speaking to her. And they're just cutting each other off when Asuka ends it with, Tonight... I'll beat you, bitch. So she carried the bitch card tonight. Big moment for her. This this is yeah. the new king of the ring. Like that is that scripting is the official seal of approval of where you are in the pecking order. Well, you think they're saying bitch on two oh five live? I don't think so. No, it's not a chance. It's only the main event. Yeah. No way. You can aspire to that. That's like where, you know, there's the giant I bet you in the back there's a giant bitch sign and you get to point to it. Once you're a big star, but not, you don't even look at that sign until you're a star. So Riddle took on Randy Orton. This is our setup for the main event with Asuka and Charlotte. Uh, Riddle and Randy Orton had a very good match. It went 13 and a half minutes. Early on, Riddle went for a rear naked choke and he applied it four different times with Orton continually trying to get free and Riddle reapplying the hold. Riddle then got yanked off the apron, dropped on the desk, and then Randy took over, stomping his feet. He chokes Rand, er, he chokes Riddle, telling him, in this business, respect is very important. As Corey Graves uh, gave the, uh, the laziest Randy Orton Wikipedia entry, saying that Randy had some rough patches in his career when it came to uh, past grievances. Is that the A&E biography? Yes, yes. That would be a... <laughs> Randy had some rough patches during the 2000s, uh, but then <laughs> he joined the Wyatt family in 2014. There was a superplex by Orton 
and a draping DDT. RKO gets countered with a crucifix. Upset win by Riddle in 13 and a half minutes. It's this was Riddle's probably biggest win since the U.S. title victory over Lashley, uh, and definitely a surprise, you know. Per, and you see this, and you think, okay, this was the the logic that gave them the, the justification for him to both lose to Lashley and Sheamus two days in a row. And maybe they're right because I thought the shock of this victory was enough to refresh Riddle, ignites a feud with Randy Orton, possibly a rematch on a pay per view, and I thought the match was good. Riddle, I think, has very good chemistry with Randy Orton. They match up well in terms of size. Riddle's very active style, I think, is a good counter to Orton's slower static pace. And as far as, like, characters go, the idea of this idiot, (laughs) like, the idea of Randy Orton, specifically, having no time for this idiot is fascinating to me. Uh, I, I'm curious <laughs> to see what... what He doesn't even know the man's name, you know? And uh, I'm, I'm curious to see how it all plays out. I really like the rear naked choke stuff they were telling. Like, at the same time, yes, Riddle is an idiot, but they show that he has technical and, you know, wrestling ability in there, and he believably can beat Randy Orton. So I thought I enjoyed this more than I, I would. Yeah. Did you hear the, the Orton promo afterwards? I did not, no. Oh, he, he kind of, he didn't have a microphone, but he just, uh, he kind of just uh, let it under his breath. It was directed at the archivist. He said, don't fact check Pollock. He knows that Randy joined the Wyatt family later than 2014. I caught all of this. I had my closed <laughs> captioning on. He okay, said 2017, I think. Yeah. Appreciate that, Randy. Adam Pierce met with Seamus, who is told about the legacy of the U.S. title and how past champions hold open challenges like that Darby kid on Wednesday. It's been great for them. (laughs) He actually said, now Seamus, I know you're no John Cena, but (laughs) it was just, I I don't know what the intent here was, but it's like, you know, we had a really great champion once upon a time. We don't expect you to be at that level, but the very least you could do is just kind of, you know, try and act the part here of a champion. And Seamus says he's not going to try to uh, – he's not going to agree to anything that will embarrass him. Uh, and he says – what did he even say here? He'll, he he'll, do, yes. he'll do it, but not for the title. Yeah. And that was it. Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler against Naomi and Lana. Dude, I have so little to add to some of this. It's just like – That's okay. There's nothing. There's nothing here. I was struggling by this point, and this was halfway through the show. Jackson Baszler against Naomi and Lana. Non-title match. Jax hits a double suplex. Naomi somehow came down like horizontal during a vertical suplex. It was was quite the rotation here. Baszler stomps the elbow of Lana when Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke come out. They throw the footage of Mandy Rose slapping Nia last week backstage. Then we go to a second clip, which was the continuation of clip one, where the two of them tackled Nia backstage last week. Nia is in a fucking trance watching this clip, while Shayna and Lana are, like, holding each other's arm, like, do we fake a match for the non-crowd here, while you guys have the camera on Nia? Anyway, they then follow with the third clip. The coup de gras, Nia slipping off the apron. And this is too much. This is it. Nia has hit her boiling point. 
She's angry. She gets off the apron and she storms up the ramp as Naomi and Lana double team Shayna with a double face buster. And Shayna gets pinned in 415. Jax turns around. She's frustrated and shakes her head. The camera was on her for about an hour to convey frustration. Awful, awful, awful. Two weeks in, like this is definitely already in contention for worst feud of the year. In two weeks, we've had somebody leave a match because somebody, their opponent slipped. This week, it was a replay of that slip in the in the form of like a PowerPoint presentation that made that somebody else leave the match. So people are just like leaving matches, you know, like this is how we're building to, to title programs. It's just having wrestlers leave matches. You're bored. Oh, man. Like, I got better stuff to do here. <laughs> I just, I, this is like bottom of the barrel when it comes to, I would say, creativity in pro wrestling. I, I don't know who they got working on this. Clearly, it's not the same people working on the main event. Um, and I think it just, you know, tells you how little they think about these tag divisions on, on both sides. Um, so what is it? Are Lana and Naomi getting in on this now because they've won? Or, or are they just going to Yeah, all, all, all the teams that failed in the tag team turmoil are, are going to get their shot to beat Nia and Shane, I bet. I think it'll be their turn to leave mid-match next week. Ooh, okay. There was an interview from WrestleMania backstage with Damian Priest and Bad Bunny, putting over Bunny's performance, how he was accepted, thanking the Latin community, and then they promoted that his tour sold out, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, very impressive. You didn't get your birthday present? Oh, I'm going to have to go to StubHub, I think. Mm. Shit, too late. Uh, we got a preview of the Piper documentary. There's clips of Vince being interviewed for it. Mr. T, Ric Flair, his daughter Teal. Um, so that is on Sunday. Ms. TV with Ms. and Maurice. They take credit for Bad Bunny becoming a household name. And Ms. says, you're welcome for your tour selling out. He beat Damian Priest, and the season premiere of Miz and Mrs. last week was a success. Then Maurice thanks Michael for being an awesome husband and father and the greatest superstar of his generation. They kiss. Pyro goes off. I actually thought these two were pretty amusing here. They're fantastic together. I think Maurice is, is great as, as a manager. Like, they just turn it up, and they work off each other very well. Mm-hmm. Miz plugs uh, tonight's episode after Raw, and his episode he's getting a 24 episode on Sunday. So I guess he's going against Piper. I guess so. Yeah. Two, two, two huge heels from their generations colliding with documentaries on Sunday. Damian Priest interrupts him and says, you're as delusional as Jake Paul thinking he's a real fighter. Yeah, pop culture. He asks, who brags about a win like you had last week? And he says, the whole world got to see you stripped down and that you had no cojones last week. And I can translate that with my fists. Maurice responds in French and accepts a match with The Miz for later tonight. Then Damien chugs the champagne, spits it out, calling it trash. And then they spill the champagne on him. And he's cool. He just sits there. He's like, oh, damn. That wasn't cool. Damien Priest took this down. 
Oh, that was yeah. heat getting, John. Yeah, they needed to douse him from just the uh, the the radiation of this hot promo that he extolled. You know, whatever. I mean, this is just something to promote Miz and Mrs. Promoted the rematch tonight. That's all there is. Kofi Kingston and Xavier Woods met with Riddle backstage, which is the setup to horrendous. Xavier Woods had a guitar case. This led to a pancake joke. They screamed, and Riddle called them bros from other Moes. I mean, I really think the joke was on you and people like yourself who have to recap this stuff on air. Um, I'm just going to selectively take out stuff from the room. Yeah, I think I think they get such a like thrill from the idea that people are repeating this ridiculous stuff that they're saying on TV. That's it. They're like, huh, this idiot's going to recap this promo. He's going to write this verbatim. <laughs> yeah. Elias and Jackson are in the ring. Sound issues. Xavier's playing a bass guitar. <laughs> uh, I could I'm not lying. Your, this is all, your, this all happened. I can Dude, see your thought process. Like, honestly, I was yeah. done by 9 p.m. Absolutely done. Yeah, I picked. I, could, I was. I, I was this close to just putting out like a, a public message on the message board. Kate, do you want to switch and do Raw instead of SmackDown? Kofi Kingston and Elias had a match that went approximately two days. I will say it was amusing that Xavier Woods used the bass guitar to play Austin's theme that set up a Thez press with punches from Kofi. Then. The rest of this match occurred. Elias tried to lift up Kofi for a military press. Corey Graves uh, summarizes beautifully by observing that was brutal as he could barely lift this guy up and just dumped him onto the rope. Kingston hit a high cross. He went for an SOS. Perfect description because they could not save their souls here because Elias, I don't know what the hell happened here, but it took the fucking jaws of life for Kofi to get control of Elias to hit this goddamn move for a two count. Top rope Hurricane Rana gets blocked. Kingston crashes on the mat, eats an elbow drop, 441, disaster of a match, and Elias wins. Not a great match, unfortunately, but that bass guitar I think has great potential. I'd love to. I mean, how complicated do you think uh, Woods' uh, uh, music theme bass playing could get? You know, what would I mean, you like to hear? I mean, he played like AJ's old theme on the trombone a few weeks ago in the lead up to Mania. Now mm-hmm. he's like, he taught himself like Austin's theme on this guitar. I mean, hey, I'll take it. Okay. This late in the show, th- that's my bar. Just make me like smirk that it's funny. I'll give it to you. It was funny. Uh, you know, this was a clean finish. This was an unexpected finish to me, having Elias pin Kofi Kingston. I swear to God, next week, maybe New Day come out and they're just the tag champions. No one will notice. And we get a title match with Elias and Riker. This was the setup for it. Possibly, yeah. But uh, this seems to continue a feud between these four. And um, maybe awesome. next week, New New Day will completely be serious. Um, contenders alexa's playground alexa is joined by lily and we got childhood photos of alexa with lily 
photoshopped yeah could you tell oh you know i couldn't necessarily so yeah could could be real yeah i i think that was a safe assumption she shared a story about being on a playground when she was a child with another girl who was mean and did not share her ice cream i don't blame her that's gross as hell well, especially now, yeah, that's not happening, dude. Anymore. Any era, if if like someone else like had an ice cream cone, can I have some? No chance. Like my mouth has been on this thing. I've like, no, absolutely not. So this child denied her the ice cream. So Alexa quote shoved that little bitch off the swing, and broke this girl's arm, and ate all her ice cream, meaning. She took this ice cream off the fucking ground in that playground. Yeah, well, is that that crazy to think? You know, she she's done worse. She said tar. She said oil spill out of her face. I guess what's what's some ice cream across uh, underneath the swing set? And she told the teachers, Lily made me do it. And she has no problem. Lily has no problem letting you know if she has a problem with you. All the little girls on the Raw roster need to know that Lily didn't like him, and Lily doesn't like any of you. And we ended with a close-up of Lily cackling. Yeah. (laughs) I'll bet you Mia Yim saw this, and she was just ecstatic. Smackdown! (laughs) Yeah. I don't have to do I'll do anything. Give me whatever you want. It's not this. I'll take a Reginald story a million times over something like this. Man, like, man, raw women's division, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to be facing this this thing uh, for the next year. Uh, everybody line up and take your turn. Dude, this is, uh, this is Asuka's future. Oh, yeah. She'll be the first victim. Dana Brooke and Mandy Rose are interviewed. They successfully embarrassed Nia Jax tonight. And they are asked, was this appropriate behavior? And Rose explains, we are not the bullies. Really? She notes that she slipped on the stage, but these two had the audacity to watch it repeatedly. Well, now they can't if they're international subscribers. Nia storms in. Baszler tells Jax to get her head in the game. They lost because of you. You've been getting distracted and you need to pay attention. Or else. And with that, Naya's left alone, prompting Angel Garza to come in. Part of me just assumed he would be... I am now playing the role of Reginald, which is essentially what he's doing as he asked Naya what he sees in that circus clown, Reginald. Who, it feels like, has just been written out. I mean, the fact that mentioned him suggests that he'll be back. Uh, but who knows why he's not even ringside anymore, right? I I'm happy to see Angel Garza get some sort of get anything to do. Oh, this is career changing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Quite quite the uh, placement of where Angel Garza and Andrade were a year ago with uh, Thea Trinidad. Yeah, yeah. It was quite the difference. Umberto Carrillo was like a rising baby face on Raw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot's changed. Drew McIntyre took on Mace and T Bar. I am pissed because I thought we were coming up to the main event here and I realized this is the start of hour three. Okay. We're going to just zip through this. They went six minutes. It was paint drying. 
They fought off, Drew fought off Mace, sent him off the apron. They returned. They double teamed Drew in the corner. Match is thrown out. Braun comes out to save him. And I am going to give myself credit because I could still manage to give this level of care to the SmackDown promo. You know what drove me nuts about the SmackDown promo way? Did you watch the SmackDown promo? No, and I did not. It's got a voiceover with Pat McAfee calling this the Bianca Belair era. Is that not the layup of all layups? The Bianca Bell era. (laughs) This drove me up the wall at this hour of Raw. Like for a company that that loves to be cute. That's like literally the only thing me and Raw have in common. And WWE promos. And we can't even meet on this. The Bianca Bell era era. How can you even say that without realizing contract? The Bianca Bell era. You know, maybe maybe there's a certain rule about uh, about puns. You know, maybe they would have to clear it with somebody. Drew and That's Braun. A, that would be a great shirt. It would be a great merchandising concept. Mm-hmm. I give and I give and I give. Drew and Braun versus Mace and T-Bar. Another hour-long match. We're at hour eight of Raw. Heat on Drew. They got the advantage on Braun after a chop block. He's in with Mace. Uh, Drew makes the comeback here. Rips off the mask of Mace. And I swear to God, he yells at Mace, I just did you a damn favor. (laughs) Truer words never spoken on this show. He beats the man with the mask. Perfect metaphor for the last nine months for this guy's career. And he gets disqualified. T-Bar comes in and his shoulder tackled. Braun rips off T-Bar's mask. And Corey Graves said it's the first time we've gotten to see a look at their faces. Who is this man? I swear to God, he looks exactly like that guy who used to be in this very chair on Raw. Dio Madden. Never existed. Except for that one promo we we had when Retribution was on commentary and we acknowledged his existence. But they're unmasked. They now have to have names unless they stick with these awful names. But at least this was a net positive that they got these masks off these two. Some story progression here, you know, you, um, I guess this was a finish. Drew got DQ'd for using a mask. To yeah, we got, we got a no contest point. and a DQ in back-to-back segments involving the same people. Right. But we I'll are finally it. unmasking these two. And I, I would assume that they would adopt hurt business suits afterwards. So I'm, I'm happy for them that they're shedding this. And um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I think big guys, you know, they tend to have a better chance than most. So, I'm optimistic. The Miz versus Damian Priest. Uh, Adnan Burke was just filling up this broadcast with movie references. Did you notice these these lines he was just dropping in? I mean, I'm noticing that he is um, a very kind of like uh, good at reference type of commentator. You know, like would bring up music references, movie references, caught um, uh. What the fuck did Drew say? Um, ma- <laughs> I wrote it down. Like, sorry, sorry, Seamus. Shame. Makush, Makushla? He caught that. That's right. He had you know? that line, and Adnan was right on top of that one. He's a pop culture guy. Yeah, no, I definitely that's, felt that's he fine. got, he felt more, he felt more comfortable this week, and I, you got a bit more of his personality out, I think. Yeah. I mean, his struggle is going to be some of like the, 
specifics. I mean, he got, I mean, we, we talked about whatever's going on with the, the Viking Express. Raiders finisher, but I mean, <laughs> he was going to call it the, the flying bro and Graves corrected him. I mean, he's going to be rough around the edges when it comes to, um, you know, specific moves and stuff like that. But I thought this week it was, he did feel more at ease, I think. Mm-hmm. Then we had, uh, right, the Miz and Priest. Miz and Maurice kiss on the floor. Priest brings them back into the ring. Maurice and grabs his leg. Miz attacks him, hits him with all these kicks, which Adnan Burke points out. He stole these from Daniel Bryan. This guy's, get, this guy's giving his network a workout. Yes, he is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's up to 2017 now, I guess. Damian Priest stops a kick with an elbow to the shin and then hits a somersault senton off the middle rope. Maurice gets on the apron. They do the spot from last week with the schoolboy with Miz using the rope for leverage. But this time Priest kicks out, hit the lights, and he beats Miz in 505. So now it's a win apiece way. 50-50. Give us more. 50-50. Yeah, we're going to... I mean, maybe the pay-per-view, maybe next week. Who knows? But Way the pay-per-view is in four it. weeks. How many more matches oh. do we get in four weeks before Backlash? Oh, you know, I think this will be a best of nine situation. Yeah. Who gets right. the five first? This is how this is how you build guys up. Win one, lose one. Win one, lose one. Sheamus comes out. He didn't become champion by being a nice guy or making reckless decisions. But then says he'll be a fighting champion and issues an open challenge. For whenever he wants. So Umberto Carrillo comes out and gets the shit kicked out of him. Bell never rings and he's destroyed. And I imagine it will be a long time before we see him on Raw again. You really think so? You don't think this is building up to some sort of challenge from Carrillo? (laughs) Oh, maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm guessing this is, yeah, you're probably right. Just the way of for Sheamus to showcase his dominance as a pretty full-blown heel at this point. You know, like any sort of tease he might have had coming off of the Drew match. Am I remembering that right? Anyway, um, heel, he's a dominant U.S. champion. We'll see who finally answers it. My, my guess is Ricochet. Who? Rick O'Shea. Not familiar. Charlotte Flair and Asuka, the final match of the night. Ripley comes out to sit on the ramp on a chair. Flair hits this reverse neckbreaker on the edge, but it's like both Oscar reaches over, so they're both selling this neckbreaker. So maybe not too wisely thought out. Uh, Rhea Ripley, uh, channeling Pat McAfee, just couldn't keep her excitement to sit down. She had to get up and and stand. Did you hear how Pat McAfee? He was very critical of his performance on Friday. Yeah, I saw in your update the recap. Um, I like the standing. I it thought, genuine. God, God forbid, he is so excited by what he's watching that he gets up. Like, I don't know. I, I honestly was fine with him on Friday, and and I went in like not expecting him to be great. And I, I, I've enjoyed Pat McAfee pretty much like from the time he showed up on those pre-show panels, where I felt I was like maybe the only person that enjoyed this guy's uh, excitement levels. Uh, I've never had too much of an issue with, with Pat McAfee, but it will be, it was interesting to note though, the fact that Vince McMahon was not there on Friday and you know, that that's probably a big difference. And we will see in future weeks what that's like, because he spent a lot of time on his show today explaining that there's this rap on him that he is not coachable, but of someone like Vince McMahon, he will be very um, intent to hear whatever 
critiques Vince McMahon has of him. And that will be, I mean, that is, that comes down to every announcer of how you can deal with Vince McMahon. I think it remains to be seen how much of himself he will retain as the weeks progress. I think week one, we got to see, you know, as much as I think Pat McAfee is, as you were going to get. But like, is there a way of creating broadcasters, basically creating copy clones, robots of like Corey Graves or Michael Cole? Yes. I mean, that would be disappointing. You're really just hiring a face at that point. The day that we can get AI, like virtual commentators, I think that's all we'll see. So Asuka hit a shining wizard. There was this really sloppy code breaker, but Flair still sold it. Graves tried to cover, saying she was trying to sprawl to minimize the impact. To sprawl off the code breaker. So there you go. Uh, Flair speared her for a two count. Asuka fights off the figure four. There's a knee bar through the ropes by Flair. And then she misses a chop lock as Asuka does a leapfrog, goes for the Asuka lock, but they get to the rope. Then she clips Asuka's knee, gets the figure eight, but Ripley pulls out her arms behind the referee's back. And then Charlotte goes after Ripley and Asuka attacks Flair and uses the finish of choice, the crucifix in 916. So since SmackDown, we have got Ray, Riddle, and Asuka using this crucifix. They they seem to be in love with this crucifix finish of late. And Asuka gets the win. And then Flair goes nuts, attacking the referee, stomping him. And then starts striking him in the back of the neck, downward elbows. The other refs are in. She continues to attack and do her uh, just looking like she's out of control. And we go off the air with... Charlotte having snapped. I don't blame her. This was horrendous officiating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they were going really fast in this match. I I thought they got most of it, but man, there was definitely some mistiming there towards the end. Nonetheless, I thought it was a, a reminder of how much I miss Charlotte in ring. Uh, she continues to be just at a level really beyond most of the, uh, the roster. So I hated the finish, though. I don't think it did favors for, favors for anybody. I thought it made Asuka's win look weak. And in fact, made me sympathize with the heel here, Charlotte, for getting screwed out. Totally. Like, Charlotte didn't even provoke Ripley during the match. Like, there was no even, like, she goes over and slaps her or something, and she got her she, comeuppance. There was she nothing. Gave her a, she gave her a look or something. And, and it was not enough to justify it. And in fact, it was a reminder to me that I think they still see Rhea Ripley as a heel. And this was supposed to be a heel act by one heel onto another heel. Ugh, that's a that's a terrible rule. Yeah, it's awful. It's not working for Rhea. She should be a complete baby face at this point and not doing something like this. Um, it's a bit messy, you know, to say the least. And but you know, they 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 got to build to a three way. It looks like. Yeah, and I hope that's not just a procession of trading wins between all of these women over the next month which kind of felt like that's what we're starting with tonight's finish. I always like the idea of maybe starting with story first and then like kind of doing some of these actions to further it. Like, and is the story there? Is the story strong enough? I guess they all want, like, where is Where's the element of like, you know, Rhea beating or sorry, Charlotte beating Rhea last, last year. Do you think they'll pick up on that? I hope they do. You have that, that ready-made history. Um, that they don't always lean on. 
I just felt like with that promo last week, like there was so much on Charlotte and then you do this. Uh, I thought it really kind of just took the air out of some of the sales of what you created last week with Charlotte. Um, I just didn't like the finish. I thought, I thought Ripley came off really poor based on it. There was nothing to really set that up and look at this show with like the finishes we got on some of these matches, like between the DQs and the no contests. And then this for your main event, like th- this third hour was just awful finishes to get you through this, this final hour. So yeah, I, I don't know what we will see uh, numbers wise with this third hour, but uh, suffice to say, I think the, uh, the WrestleMania, the, the, the wave of momentum off WrestleMania has dried up. Well, we complain about these finishes, but how much do you think it actually affects the rating? It, the, the rating is more indicative of the interest level. And I just, I don't know if, I mean, if this third hour uh, holds up to any degree, you have to put that on Charlotte and Oscar, which was the promoted match throughout the weekend and was teased throughout the show. Um, I just sense like this was a show that, I mean, my interest was just waning significantly throughout this show. But at times that does not correlate to to numbers dropping. I mean, as much as I believe it secretly, I'm not the be all end all. But I kind of am. Yeah, you are. Well, let's before we go to feedback, I want to do the ratings guessing game with you because we okay. did so well last week. So yeah. last week, Raw did just over 2 million viewers. So this week, all you have to do is higher or lower. 1,875,000 viewers, higher or lower. I'm going to say lower. Lower. NXT last week, well, what 800 I think 1.875 is kind of what I'm targeting this to be. I think it's going to be down from last week. I certainly don't see them hovering near that 2 million mark, but I don't think they're going to plummet either. So like 1.875 is kind of my range of what I'm expecting. NXT, last week, 805,000 viewers, higher or lower? Do they go up or down from last week? You know, I'm going to say higher. You know, I mean, yes, there was some hype coming off of the TakeOver and coming off of WrestleMania weekend, but you're also talking about a week where people might be more aware that it's on Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's... What, what, what's, what, are, what are they promoting? I mean, it's not a big main event that they're promoting, is it? It's uh, Dexter Loomis and... Eli Drake, uh, or sorry, LA Knight. What else? What else? Championship celebration with Kushida. Saray's debut. That's right. They were promoting that heavily on the promos tonight. Yeah, which has my interest. But I'm going to say higher. What about you? I'll say slightly higher. I think it'll be a little bit higher than last week. Not not a ton, but I'll say a little. And AEW. So last week, 1,219,000 viewers. Higher or lower than a million. So what was last week again? 1,219,000. So down from yeah. last week, but higher than pretty much every Dynamite since the beginning. This one's really tough. But the card- I, don't, I don't know what to expect with with Dynamite. I think it could... I, I the think card really, is, The card is really strong. I think Darby really. and Jungle Boy, I hope it's in the main event slot. It seems like that's where they are going to put it, unless they were to do Sheeta and Conti, but I think they'll put Darby and Jungle Boy... I think that match will do really well, especially in the in the main demo. Like I think last week, you can look at several different factors of why that number did so well. Darby was one of them, and his his segment did extremely well with Matt Hardy. And I think this week, like if if it does well, I mean this is a gigantic feather 
in his cap this week with someone like Jungle Boy that I think will appeal, especially that female 18 to 49 audience that Darby has worked with. I think it's a really interesting match to do. And is it feels like a, you know, two kind of homegrown stars within AEW that are going to be put in a major slot this week. It's also an inner circle segment that they've got. Yeah, they're doing an interview with the, the Pinnacle, and they're doing a, an interview segment with the inner circle on the mm-hmm. show, along with the other matches announced. I'm going to say above a million. I'm going to say so, too. I My new rule of thumb is to be more bullish on AEW numbers. I was, I was extremely uh, pessimistic about last week's number, so I, I'm going to go the opposite this week. I, I don't see them replicating last week's number, but I think all bets are off. I mean, last week was such a wild jump in terms of numbers that this week it's it's so hard to predict like it, it, of those 1.2 million that watched last week that was a pretty great show i don't i think mm-hmm. that if you were someone in that over 50 audience that had not been following dynamite that much and you stayed and we saw how the audience stuck around for the two hours i think that's a good sign you're coming back again this week I mean, they are really riding off of a big wave of momentum coming off of next week. And if they can carry this whole thing through this week and next, then you got blood and guts the next week. And four weeks in a row is the establishing of a pattern that they can hopefully keep. You know, like if it's north of a million, can they keep it for this point forward? So these next few weeks are very important. I think this week is it's really interesting because like WrestleMania is in the rearview mirror. And now it's what. What are you able to maintain this week? And that goes especially so for for Dynamite after that extraordinary figure they did last week. All right, let's go to the forum before we wind this up. Tonight's show way gets a zero, a 4.27. <laughs> oh, man. I Like, really, what do you think? Be, be honest. Was, was I... Am I being too harsh on this show? I, I don't sense you hated this show as much as I did. I just I threw in the towel by nine p.m. I did was, you watch it live? Uh, I I was behind, but not okay. by too much. I can see you really hating it if you watched it with the commercial break and everything. I at least had the benefit of starting later and skipping most of it. So like, I I I don't I I'm not I wasn't as frustrated, but that's also because I just personally had a bit more energy tonight, and I've I've come to expect this type of show from raw paul from new jersey writes randy orton stated tonight that as long as he is around the fiend will not be seen in wwe which is the most babyface thing anyone has said this year i like the direction of charlotte's character but they really need to drop the opportunity tagline as it's really lame miss tv is usually a cringe fest but i found maurice to be quite funny in the segment this mandy dana naya stuff needs to be marked for one of the worst of the year it makes everyone look like a fool should Xavier and Kingston go their separate ways for a little while? They've done everything they could possibly do as a tag team in a division that nobody cares about. Um, thing is, it's like once you break a tag team up, it's um, they they're already doing that with Big E, and so I, I mean, they can do it with Woods and Xavier. I don't know if they should or shouldn't, because I still think there is plenty of story for them to tell as a team. Without them breaking up, just a, like they could be single stars and still be part of the new day, and tell brilliant stories with all of them. They're but also the only babyface tag team you have of any note in on Raw. Then tell me some great stories with them as a tag team. I think there's still plenty there. It's just I, I think a real lack of effort in this division as a whole. Silver so. dollar pancakes, dude. 
I mean, that's just, you know, if um, 10% of the audience gets it, then that's, that's a win, right? So um, I definitely think there's a whole lot for them. Eventually, at some point, there is going to be the, the, the point where they should break up and you tell that story of, you know, whatever you want to do with the feuding b- between them. But I get the sense that they don't want to probably don't want to do that until maybe like a 10 years later. Um, but for now, there's really not a whole lot in the tag division. We get a Kate who says, sometimes I wonder if I'm smart enough to watch WWE programming because so many things I see don't make sense. For instance, why would you have the number one contender for your world title take on two guys, almost lose, only to be rescued by one of your other top contenders and have the match turn into a regular tag match that the two top guys then lose via DQ, all in the name of getting two guys who've lost everybody to take their masks off. I mean, there was at least a point to it to get the masks off of them and done in a way where you're not supposed to care about the finish because it was thrown out and it was our way. We don't want to beat anyone. So they didn't. And instead you were given instead of one, you were given two bad finishes in two segments. She says, this was not the worst Raw. I thought that Riddle and Norton had a good match, as did Charlotte and Asuka. I wouldn't really call Sheamus versus Carrillo a fight, but it helped to reestablish that Sheamus is a heel, and it was effective for what it was. The problem is that I feel like I'm always left with questions at the end of Raw because I cannot wrap my head around their booking decisions. Well, you have questions like, was Sheamus a heel coming off a feud with Riddle? I mean, that could be debated. I mean, uh, I think everyone was behind Sheamus in that program, and that's the reason you tune in next week to find out. Is he a heel or not? So next week, is Rhea Ripley a heel or not? This is how you mm-hmm. you hook people week to week. Next up, this was a Raw leaving me with head scratches, numerous channel changes to both hockey and curling, and wondering why talented performers should listen to dolls. The good, Orton and Riddle wrestling. Agreed. A reminder that Sheamus is an effective heel champion, even though his first opponent is a little less to be desired, and an actual Oscar Charlotte match. The bad. Much of the show exemplified by how... In reaction to Ray Phoenix being unmasked, let's unmask T-Bar and Mace with little effect. I I did not put either of those two instances together at all, much less as a comparison point. Uh, as well, the women's tag storyline is already looking bad. The huh, Alexa Bliss. Okay, she's away from the fiend, but the I listen to inanimate objects to hurt others idea doesn't work for me so far. <laughs> so far. I like these open-minded here. Thank you, Richard. Okay, we got a Guillaume from Laval who says, I'm glad WWE finally decided to unmask T-Bar Mace, but Dio Mandon was part of the Raw commentary a few years back, and no, no one he wasn't. was able to. Never happened. Yeah. <laughs> Never took an That's F5. He, he's not, a, not, a, not the same guy. I hope they get a nice rebranding and that Reckoning and Slapjack get the same treatment on SmackDown. Mia Yim can be a nice addition to the roster. And Alexander from Portland. If AJ and Omos won the tag titles at WrestleMania but aren't on TV the next two Raws, are they really the champions? My favorite part of tonight was Asuka getting the bitch card. My least favorite part of tonight was Asuka and Charlotte, a WrestleMania rematch given less than 10 minutes in the main event. I say WWE can't do long-term storytelling, but I'm not sure if they can do short-term storytelling either. Braun originally being booked to wrestle Orton, but actually being Drew's tag partner in a tag team rebooking of a two-on-one handicap match with two jobbers from Retribution made little sense. Shayna Baszler not able to win a match while a lengthy recap video plays in the middle of the match makes little sense. But Asuka said bitch, so things weren't all that bad. Uh, this was a tougher one, I think, for a lot of people. I mean, it was one that definitely made us uh, think about ourselves, our lives. 
And, um, you know, the thing is, I would say wrestling fans are some of the most optimistic. Because what other reason would we have to come back every single week? You know? We're it's always you, hoping for the best. It's you, the people. This is why we come back every week. I don't have much more to add to Raw. I don't think I will have this feeling about any other wrestling show I watched this week. WWE or non-WWE. We get the hardest workout of the week out of the way. On the that's what week. it is. You know what I mean? Like, that's, uh, that's, that's like doing, like, the most painstaking drill at the beginning of the week. And everything... It, it's like you, you haven't... You haven't worked out in a long time, so that first one back is the worst. But then after that, it's easier. Yeah. It's the weekend. We have the most energy for it. Imagine this show on a Friday, John. No, I cannot. Though, I preceded this Raw by watching that four-hour Triller card. So that that's kind of like going out and getting drunk the night before your big workout. So you're doing, it with, a hang- you're doing it with a hangover. As well, drunk or, who, drunk or who knows what else. Well, there we go. Seven hours gone, uh, but plenty more to come this week, everybody. We've got uh, Tuesday up next. Brayden and Davey, they'll be live right after NXT on their Twitch channel. Do you look today as I put down what the new schedule is for wrestling for the foreseeable future? Insane. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. There's a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And you pick and choose what you want to watch. Unless you're John Pollock. No, I'm picking and choosing. There's no way I could keep up with all this stuff. You know what's fallen off the map for me is like NWA Power, I've got to say, has been, I, I think, you know, going on to Fight TV, I think a lot of people have just not followed it any longer. Mm. Really tough. I mean, there's, you know, in the time that they've had away from market, I think people have just gotten used to so much else. And uh, paying, I wouldn't say they've established a brand big enough to, you know, get people to pay for it. And a lot of the roster is gone, unfortunately. So it'll definitely probably take a bit more bigger moves to get people, uh, people's attention. I could see the good, it's the, I, I, I could see her, I see her doing a lot higher than NWA. Like I would be, mm-hmm. Ring of Honor is relaunching its women's division. You have Impact, you've got. Uh, I, I think any company that would be aggressively going after a Mickey James, I think could be an asset. I, I think she could do much more than just NWA. Um, yeah. I think you'll see a lot of people who are free to come and go and they might not be full-time NWA people, but they'll, yeah, you know, they, they that, that's all NWA can hope for. I don't think anyone's, you know, going to do NWA full-time. I don't think that's um, going to be most people's desire, uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, coming in and out and that thing, it's just, yeah, I think it's an interesting thing to look at is just there's all this content out there and it's kind of the good and bad of YouTube is that YouTube is your highest visibility rate for your audience, but it's it's very hard to succeed on YouTube because it's like you're not going to make as much off off of YouTube unless you're doing absolutely insane numbers, which, you know, you have to kind of go in with like a modest outlook if you're a group of that size. But it's like everyone has their their tiers of what is my priority viewing every week, what are shows if if I can I'll watch, and then there's the other and the bottom tier is going to continue to grow of I do not have time for this, I cannot follow it and therefore it's out of my rotation and I think with the addition of more and more and more content, you're going to see that bottom tier fill up where it's it, if if I can't follow it weekly, it's gone. And you're just going to have your, your shows that are must-see, that you'll watch every week. And then there's everything else that 
is going to be tougher to get that attention of even the hardcore fan. Oh, for sure. Like, just look at that impact here. They've got Rich Swan versus Kenny Omega, which is about like as big of a match as I think impact can hope for. And uh, there's certainly like, we'll find out this week how much of a buzz there is for it and how I think that pay-per-view by impact standards, I think this show is going to do well for them. Mm -hmm. But I I look at like an impact. I look at uh, ring of honor. I think that there are shows, uh, by the way, ring of honor this past weekend had this excellent match between Jonathan Gresham and Jay lethal for their 500th episode. I'd highly recommend that match. But to the point, I think those products are ones where, there's going to be a fan base that will follow pay-per-view to pay-per-view and the weekly television may fall by the wayside. Well, and that's good for them, right? Like as long as people are paying for it, it's always better than nothing. That is going to wrap things up folks. Tuesday, we are back with rewind away number 84 re- reviewing the G1 special in San Francisco. I'm glad I watched this over the weekend because uh, I, I am tapped out, but I will be renewed on Tuesday to chat about this show from the Cow Palace. The show that can be coined by the most uh, famous phrase from the show, you done fucked up now. (laughs) Goodbye.